seat and grab a glass. Millennial Sun Podcast. Time to wind down, swirl that glass, open up. If you like how it's feeling, catch the fire, turn it up. Y'all know what time it is. The Millennial Sun Podcast. Have a seat and grab a glass. Millennial Sun Podcast. Time to wind down, swirl that glass, open up. If you like how it's feeling, catch the This is Isis Daniel, also known as the Millennial Psalm, and we are here for another episode of the Millennial Psalm Podcast. Y'all, this weekend was absolutely insane. If you don't follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube, all under the tag, the Millennial Psalm, make sure you do so so you don't miss out on everything that goes on with me, okay? A lot of people don't understand that the Millennial Psalm has three tiers. The first tier is the one that's most obvious. It's in the name. I am a certified Psalm, level three. Shout out to WSET. Boom. But within that, I am a wine educator. I host different corporate um, wine events, tastings, whatever of the sort. But it's all about making sure that my people understand wine and their palate preference. Okay. But then when you move to the next phase of that, it is that content creation aspect. That's why we're here. You're listening to content creation through a podcast, but also if you follow me on any of my social media platforms and you're watching the different videos, that is content creation. I'm using my voice, my writing skills, I'm acting sometimes, I'm doing whatever I can to make wine knowledge tangible and easy to understand. Now, the third tier was a little difficult for me to fully embrace because I didn't understand my purpose within it. It took me some time. Luckily, uh, shout out to La Crema, all under Jackson Family Wines, who hired me to be their brand influencer. Um, Over the last year, I've been touring with them, going to different states, meeting amazing people, but most importantly, connecting with wine consumers who may be interested in the La Crema brand. So taking that to the next level, we were out in Hollywood, y'all. Okay, living our best life, walking these red carpet events and just being fabulous. You guys know that is my kind of tea, my kind of time. Um, So shout out to Global Stage Hollywood Film Festival. Absolutely love just being immersed into that Japanese culture was so beautiful. So it was an honor to be there. Shout out to Verte Wines who sponsored that event. But then also with Ebony Magazine, we went to the Ebony Power 100 event you guys okay can we just talk about la crema being the official wine sponsor of ebony power 100 and i was able to be there and witness black excellence at its highest degree y'all don't understand y'all don't understand i was up in there and happy as hell yes i said it i was happy as hell it was so much fun you guys i'm just seeing all the different people celebrating all the trailblazers who are making a huge impact to the black community and in different industries. It meant the world to me. It was wonderful seeing art, wonderful seeing some, you know, yes, it was cool seeing some celebrities. You know what I'm saying? It was cool. I ain't gonna lie. I'm gonna be honest. It was all right. You know what I'm saying? It was cool. But you guys, I really want to just say thank you to everyone who made both events happen. It was an honor to be there. Shout out to Jackson Family Wines. Um, but let's go ahead and just get into this week's topic um for the millennial sound podcast i 
side note, I really just wanted to share with you guys what was going on. So anyone who listens to the podcast and isn't officially a follower on any of my social media platforms, I just want to give this little shameless plug to invite you into that space so that you can really see all that is going on with the Millennial Sound podcast platform. And then of course, to stay connected with anything else that might be coming up. Okay, so I had to take that moment, but let's go ahead and talk about our topic for today, which is the prohibition. Let's get into it. So the prohibition is a topic that is very important to me, that I don't feel we as the industry highlight enough. In fact, it reminds me of being an African-American child in history class talking about black history. You get one page or two, and it's usually a little blurb touching on the key points that someone else thought was important. You know what I'm saying? However, how the prohibition began or the reasons why it begun, what was going on in between and the response to the end of the prohibition after still affect us to this day, which prompts this question that I have, um, which is, are we still stuck in the prohibition? Just because it technically ended, does it mean that we're not having long-term effects from it? You feel me? So I have a tattoo that's meaning holds a great value in my life. It is a word from the Akan tribe in Ghana. The word is Sankofa. It translates to go back to the past and bring forward that which is useful. So it's all about going back in history, taking the lessons from the past and applying it now so that one, history doesn't repeat itself. Two, you break out of a cycle that you don't even know you're in. Or three, you remind yourself of how far you've come and where exactly you're trying to go. Now hear me out. I apply this way of thinking, going back and taking. I apply that thought to everything that I do in any aspect of my life because we are constantly reliving old experiences. That's just how history works. Nothing is new under the sun. Everything has happened and will happen again, which is why we have to remember and call things out by name. And I think that calling the prohibition out and recognizing how it started and where it's going is the true answer to the liberation we've been seeking within this wine industry. So let's, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to break down a couple of my thoughts and I would love for you guys to talk to me on all of my social media platforms um, so that we can actually digest and talk about how the prohibition has actually affected us. These are just some of my thoughts. So let's start with the fundamentals of the whole conversation. What was the prohibition? In the United States, the prohibition was written into the 18th Amendment's constitutional ban on the manufacture, sale, and transport of all alcoholic beverages. So let's just take a moment and go back to the term of the day, Sankofa. We're going back in history and we're taking. We talk about the prohibition, but how often do we ask ourselves why? Why was the prohibition even necessary or thought to have been necessary for our country? Reality is this. The United States of America was a hot, boiling mess. We were still trying to find ourselves. Okay, so let's start with the progressive era. From 1895 all the way through World War I, we had social problems, an unhappy middle class, 
unsafe work conditions, no child labor laws. So you had women and children dying at work. Like this was a very hard time for American citizens across the board. Black, white, purple, or blue, it didn't matter. It was hard. And you got to understand, we are people of the 21st century, baby. We weren't talking about therapy. (laughs) We weren't talking about seeking help. No, no, baby. What were we doing? We were self-medicating. Amen. We were drinking way over excess, okay? And this is what brought in the temperance movement, dedicated to promoting moderation and more often the complete abstinence of alcohol consumption. A lot of people don't know this, but around this time, women were finally able to vote. And a lot of these women were suffering from abuse in their homes because their husbands were over consuming and abusive. But a quick shout out to the Quaker women out there who were the leaders of the women's suffrage movement. Right now we are voting, you guys. I know we are here in Maryland for sure. This week and next week, early voting is happening right now. We have to give respect to them because if it wasn't for the work that they did, we as women would not have the right to vote, okay? So make sure you guys utilize your right as citizens and do that this week and next, especially if you're in Maryland. But Moving on past that, I appreciate all that they've done, but I'm not quite sure the prohibition and voting for that was a great decision because we have so many negative effects from it. And we're going to go ahead and move on to the second point, which is what was going on in between after, of course, we just talked about how it began, how we started the prohibition. With women now having a voice and being able to participate in elections, the prohibition is written into the 18th Amendment's constitutional ban. So this is where it kind of gets gray because it might be illegal to drink now, but it doesn't mean that people aren't going to drink. Now we've opened up the world of the underground, also known as dot, dot, dot speakeasies. Now, when we say speakeasies now, we were like, oh yeah, it's a cute little bar. It's, you got to find the secret door. You go in the secret door and they have all these fancy cocktails. You know, we get all fancy now, but back then it was Ratchetville. It was illegal. And so everything illegal was happening in these spaces. It's the same thing when we talk about marijuana being legalized. When we talk about, what is it called? Death Mountain. I don't know. I watched some pod, not podcast, um, some Netflix series. On, I don't know. But you know, when the things get illegal, that's when things get shady. And unfortunately, you know, we can talk about so many different laws that are outside of the wine industry that are now illegal. And the biggest concern that we all have is it doesn't mean it's going to stop. It means that we're opening the door for an underworld of terrible illegal activity. And that's what happened with these speakeasies. You started the prohibition to get people to stop over consuming. But instead, you've opened a door for people to find secret speakeasy spots, the world of the underground, to do just that. Not just consume, but because it's already illegal, we might as well overconsume. Because it's already illegal, we might as well have other illegal activities happen within this establishment. Because it's all wrong. This is the black market before black market was a thing. And we don't fully understand that now we've created a culture. If we can't drink anywhere, but everyone on the block is still drinking, 
They're making, you know, spirits in their bathtubs and whatnot, or they're going to the juke joint down the street and partying. Now we have created an atmosphere where for 14 years, 13 to 14 years, the standard is if you're going to drink, you're going to do it to the point where you overconsume because it's the gaspies. It's the roaring to um, the roaring twenties. Think about it. Economy is now starting to get better. We now have the entrance of jazz fashion. We're living a lush life. Come on, my jazz people. I'll live a lush life. Like, you know, like we, we're deep down in this kind of world that we have created, not because we're now living in moderation, which the whole temperance movement was supposed to be, but we went to extreme. And when you go one extreme, you're bound to have another extreme as an outcome, which is, again, the roaring 20s, bootleggers, making whiskey and other types of spirits in your bathtubs, overselling all of the bars that they had now, all the bootleg speakeasies are now outnumbering them because as soon as you close one, you open another. That's the world we accidentally created by banning wine and other spirits. But let's talk about it. Because I just dropped a whole bunch of gems just now, but that's only the tip of the iceberg because that still doesn't classify the distinction between the haves and the have-nots. So wine is banned. But if you have money, you can still smuggle fine wine from Germany, from France, from Italy, from other regions around the world. You can still smuggle those wines into your country. Now, what we don't, what you guys might not know is that during this period, a lot of wineries had to actually take up, pull out the vines from their vineyards. Some were able to keep doing it. You know, if they're ever servicing different religions and churches and things like that, they were able to keep their vines. But for the most part, majority of the vines in America were pulled out during the prohibition. So that meant that the wealthy, if they wanted fine wines, that they would have to smuggle it into the country and they had the money, they could do that. We're not living in our world today where they're opening up packages and paying attention to everything that's coming in. I mean, this is a different world. It's a different time. But if you had money, you could do it. But if you didn't have money, you're making bathtub gin, rock gut, moonshine. I don't know who in the world will be open to drinking anything with the name rot gut in it, but that's what they did. And so you have this distinction of palate preference that's already beginning during the prohibition before it ends. People who have been able to maintain that quality of preference and understanding and distinction between high quality and wines was reserved for people who are still making money during the prohibition. But then when you have these other people, the majority, those are the people that we really care about, right? The majority, their wine preference, they're getting further and further away from the understanding of wine. So let me go ahead and put this in just in case it needs to be said. Before the prohibition, the wine industry was actually booming in, uh, booming enough within the United States. We had winemakers from Germany, France, and Italy making wines, just like when you go to um, Argentina and other New World regions where 
old world winemakers came to us and started planting wine, um, vineyards and making wine, that happened. So America's understanding and appreciation of wine was pretty standard in comparison to other regions around us. However, because of the prohibition and having a 13 to 14 year gap where the haves were able to keep access to these beautiful, fine quality, high quality wines, you had the other portion of people, which was the grand majority who were getting used to not drinking quality spirits, whether it was made from grapes or not, their understanding of their palate was starting to deteriorate over the span of 13 to 14 years. Why as why do we as an industry not talk about that? Why do we not highlight the fact that we have a 14 year gap of not appreciating wines as regular average consumers. And with that being stated, why don't we make a point as an industry to get our people up to speed for the whole improvement and longevity of this industry? I'm just talking history, baby. And if that happened in history, why don't we think that this is still affecting us today? And we haven't even gotten to the end of the prohibition. Can we just take a moment? And I mean, I'm not trying to be all aggressive, but God dang it, I am passionate about it because we have so many people who feel like they aren't a part of this industry and it dates all the way back to December 5th, 1933. That's when the prohibition ended. And I think I'm not even being accurate. Let's actually say when it started, January 16th, 1920. People have not been involved in wine and understanding their palate and growing as consumers since January 16, 1920. But then again, the prohibition ends December 5th, 1933. And how does that affect the people? What kind of wine, because this is a wine podcast, I could talk about other spirits, but I'm not. What kind of wine are they interested in drinking? Fruity sweet fortified wines now let's just take a moment and think about where we are today and what is the pre the preference of the average consumer when they first start drinking wine sweet wines and if they are anything like you know most college students fortified because we got a goal we just try and get to the goal y'all understand what the goal is if you know what the goal is you know okay Fortified, you're adding a little bit of spirit, hiring, you know, making that alcohol content a little high, a little sophisticated, okay? A lot of fortified wines tend to be sweet, sherries, ports, all of that, right? But the reason why people would naturally be interested in sweet or fortified wines is because they've been spending years drinking very harsh, not well-integrated spirits, same thing happens to us after college. We've been drinking a whole bunch of gin, vodka, and fireball, and we don't really understand the quality of our palate. We don't understand because we've been drinking trash for years. So you naturally go to what? Sweeter wines, easy to drink wines, fortified wines, wines that will get you to drunk or to intoxicate as quickly as possible. I'm not condoning it. It's just what the reality is. The same thing happened to the people after the prohibition. And then 
This is when the haves recognize that we have a whole community of people who actually respect wine. So let's actually cater our industry to them and allow the other people to kind of not feel welcome and included. It's the same thing that happens today, but we don't acknowledge it. Therefore, what happens? It keeps repeating. And that's why you have to have people like the millennial Psalm who's taking the time out to educate their followers on understanding their palate. That's why we have people like me and other influencers who I totally support who are doing the same thing of bridging that gap. I want to be clear. For all my people out there who like sweet wines and feel rejected and don't feel welcomed, this is a learned behavior that we've had since the prohibition. It's an industry standard to judge people who like sweet wines, to judge people who are more attracted or interested in fortified wines. The There are so many fine, sweet, and fortified wines out there. And of course, any person within the industry is able to acknowledge that. But what is being pushed to the consumers? What is being pushed to people who don't feel welcomed within this industry? It's important to note that the average United States palate has been impacted by the prohibition. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, that's what the truth is. You go to all these other countries around the world where wine is actually cheaper than water. And it's because wine has been embedded within their culture, their cultural DNA. They understand wine Um, going into wine is actually a part of their culture so that, you know, it's, it's actually viewed as a high value um, job. There's just so much that goes into it when you talk about other countries, which is something I think this might be the part two of the prohibitions and its effect on us. We have to recognize how the United States has chosen to respond to the prohibition and how we have chosen to not evolve since the prohibition, um, So I'm not going to keep y'all any longer. I think that this conversation, we've kind of touched on a lot of the important points that I think will spark a lot of thought and conversation. Of course, I want to touch on legislation. I want to talk about, uh, you know, wine laws and how we've been affected by the prohibition. But it's important that we understand the fundamentals of it, just the basic human response to it. And um, I think we did a great job in this conversation. I would love to hear your thoughts. Please let me know on all of my social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Let's actually have this conversation because it's important. If we refuse to go back and take from history, going back to Sankofa, we are at risk of either repeating history or being stuck in a loop. And in this particular situation, I do believe Isis Monique Daniel, the owner and <laughs> the owner and representative of the Millennial Psalm. And I have my my business that you guys will know about very soon. Listen, the prohibition has affected us and we need to understand it and point it out and call it out by name because we are the people who are stuck in a cycle and we don't even recognize that we are. And we're looking at this industry and we're wondering why, you know, we haven't been able to make something new. We haven't been able to grow. We're stuck in this cycle of 
oh, I don't feel like I'm welcomed or my palate preference isn't represented or I don't feel like I know enough about wine to actually drink it or I'm at a restaurant and I feel totally out of my element or last but not least, and this is my favorite of all, I actually prefer beer or other spirits because wine is just way too complicated. It requires way too much knowledge for me to know. And I really like sweet and fortified wines. Therefore, I'm not really welcome because other people make me feel bad for my preference. All of that stems from this moment where we were actually out out of our control, people of the 21st century. We're, we're reaping the consequences of this decision but we have no idea how that decision of the prohibition has affected us and still affects us today. So let me know what you think. I know this is a lot. This is a, this is one of my heavy wine geek podcast um, episodes and I'm super excited about it, but I would love to know your thoughts. So write some comments, leave some reviews, all that jazz. So we can really dive deeper into the whole concept of the prohibition and its effects. Um, so yeah, anyway, This is the Millennial Psalm, you guys. I love you all so much. Thank you for tuning in and joining me for yet another week of the Millennial Psalm podcast. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next week, but I do have some guests who should be coming on in the next week or so. So stay tuned. um, And I love you guys. Okay. So stay woke. Must stay woke. I love you guys. Bye. Y'all know what time it is. The Millennial Song Podcast. Have a seat and grab a glass. Millennial Song Podcast. Time to wind down, swirl that glass, open up. If you like how it's feeling, catch the fire, turn it up. Y'all know what time it is. The Millennial Song Podcast. Have a seat and grab a glass. Millennial Song Podcast. Time to wind down, swirl that glass.